Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Cornell Bunting. Cornell is not only a friend, a father, a motivational speaker, an author, and so, so much more. Cornell, thanks for joining me here today. Oh, and thank you for having me. This is beautiful. Well, thank you. <laughs> Looking forward to this. Um, you have uh, you have accomplished so much, but you've also lived a life that many of us cannot necessarily relate to. Right, right. Uh, in 2013, you were falsely accused and charged with 16 counts and spent 10 months in prison. Yeah, man. You faced 32 years to life for a crime that you didn't commit. Yep. Pretty, yep. pretty unbelievable. Um, again, could not imagine what that's like. I want to go back to that in a little bit, yeah, but yeah. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. So, Cornell, <laughs> if you don't mind for our, our audience, just maybe start off telling us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing. Please. Yes, uh, definitely. So my name's Cornell Bunting, uh, now published author and motivational speaker with a few other things. Um, but yeah, I was born in Jamaica you know, uh, understood um, what it's like to have and to not have. You know, our world got very crazy at a young age. We went from 100 to zero because our dad, he had accomplished a lot. He had accomplished a lot. He had, he had became a superintendent for the super clubs. So we had everything we wanted. You know, as kids, we had the bikes. We had the color TV. No one else had color TVs in the early 80s. So sure. It was a lot of fun, man, and um, I don't know, you know, him and my mom, you know, something happened, and he just one day decided that, you know, he's going to leave, he sold the house. We didn't even know he sold the house. We we had a lady came to the house maybe two weeks before we had to move out and said, hey, you guys have two weeks to leave. I'm the new owner, and um, you know, we, we never seen our dad, you know. We, we wasn't hearing from our dad, none of that stuff, so it was like, all of the the luxury that we had, we just we lost it in a in a little bit. Like I remember my mom had to have her brother get a like one of those trucks. And back then those trucks, they didn't even really have railings. They had like wood railings. So they came, they load up our furnitures, and we went to the country, like where my mom mom lived. And she didn't even have enough room for all of us. You wow. Know, so. What what age were you when this happened, by the way? I was probably around six, seven. Okay. okay. Yeah, it was it was it was early age, man. And uh, you know, things went crazy. You know, we we went from having all we wanted as kids to not, yeah, sure. <laughs> to not having nothing. Yeah. So I mean, we, I remember days when we didn't even have dinner. Like I remember days me and my brothers would run on the street to look for food. Wow. There was times when we would see the peel of a mangoes, like where people was eating and they peel the skin off the mango. That was what we was eating. Wow. For dinner, man. That was how bad it got, you know. But you know, I had a few opportunities, got a chance to run around in England with my mom uh sister and uh um, So tell me about that. So what age did that happen? And what what brought you to England then? Uh you know, it was uh, it's really stability. Uh we didn't have stability. My mom, mom had like a one bedroom shack. Okay. You know, and so everyone was there, like the, the bedroom, the kitchen, the living room, dining room, all in one spot. How many people living in that spot? <laughs> I was looking you at knew about, I was going to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably about eight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you were was... definitely a close knit family, huh? <laughs> oh, all the way close. Yeah. Man. You had people 
foot in your face, sleeping. <laughs> it was bad. So, but then England was like a whole nother level, man. You know, the uniform school, uh, the respect, um, understanding um, how to carry yourself every day. You know, get up, you you dress, you get proper for, you know, what that day looks like, you know, making sure that you got the right attire on and understanding what that looked like. So uh, it really uh, shaped me into a different um, individual. And Not to interrupt you, Cornell. How did yeah. that happen? So you went to England, but but so what happened? What was the catalyst to bring you into that situation? It's, it's the, we did, just didn't have enough space for everyone. Okay. So, you know, my mom's sister, um, she was a nurse for the army. Okay. And she said, hey, I'll take uh, take your oldest. And, um, you know, that's how I got oh, that's that how, opportunity. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, you know, that's how we we ran into that space. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I got into English literature, um, you know, fell in love with a lot of the Mark Twain stuff, you know, um, Huckleberry Finn, you know, all of that. Good, good books and stories from... Um, back then and then um i discovered this 19th century poet as well uh named henry wandsworth longfellow okay yeah sure uh, and then i discovered he was from america here in maine uh and so that kind of you know grabbed me into the literature world a little bit and i got into that writing and stuff like that wow okay yeah. so in in high school was was that your thing literature yeah, yeah yeah in high school so i went back to jamaica finished high school and um in high school there was this girl that i really like and i and i wanted to date her and uh i so i followed her i was in soccer uh but she didn't care for soccer too much okay um, she was into the drama like acting and so I followed her there. And when I, she was like, if you want to hang out with me, you got to join the drama club. <laughs> and so I joined the drama club. Of course club. you did, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun in the drama club. And then I got a chance to start writing scripts for plays. Hmm. And then, you know, my teacher, uh, she took a liking to my, my style of, of how I tell a story. And we did quite a bit of those plays. And then they took one of my plays and, and put it into a competition. Wow. Uh, you know, and it was it was a lot of fun. We came in second. and um, But I didn't pursue that out of school. When I left school, I, I actually became a Caribbean history teacher. Okay. And then I hated that. I just felt like it was boring. I wasn't meeting people. So I say, you know, I got I got to find a job that I'm meeting people. So it's almost like I totally forgot that I I had the skill to write. Interesting. Yeah, okay. and so I got into this. My friend was working at Crown Plaza. It was a hotel where a lot of the celebrities from here, America, would would visit. And he was like, "Hey, man, your personality would go well with this resort, you know." And I was like, "Okay, so." I went for the interview and and I was so excited about the place. I could not stop smiling. <laughs> and this lady was like, you know, um, are you ready to work? Like she was so take to how I was. Sure. She was like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to work. She's like, you ready to work right now? She literally hired me, put me to work. I was working there. So at the time I went to the interview, I start working maybe an hour and a half later. Did you really? So what was what was your role there? Bellman. Okay. Bellman. Okay. And I, so Bellman, 
is where you meet guests when they pull up at sure. the resort. You get their luggage, you take them to their room, you tell them about the resort a little bit and, you know, surrounding areas that they can go and enjoy themselves. So I had so much fun with that. I probably did that for over 16 years, man. Did you really? Okay. I did. Wow. All right. <laughs> I, I was locked in because, you know, after they sold, they sold the Crown Plaza and uh, they had, I had me on a contract. And so they were like, hey, we we can't pay you all the contracts. So we're going to get you a job in Captiva. Okay. So I came to Captiva Island and... So that's what brought you here. That's what brought. Me okay. Here what what year was that? Roughly? That was in two thousand. Okay. So two thousand. Okay. Right before the year before the those planes flew into the buildings yeah, in, uh, sure. in New York and nine um, eleven. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was wild and um, but it was a lot of fun. I I I I love meeting people. I love just uh, helping them to have a memorable vacation, wow. whatever that looks like. Okay. You know? So. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that, and I just kept going, man. Okay, so what happened after that? So you were in Captiva as a bellman. Yes, yes. Uh, so Captiva, and then Charlie happened a couple of years yeah, later. Sure. Charlie destroyed Captiva, and I. But before Charlie destroyed Captiva, I, I decided I wanted to stay in America. So there was this girl I was messing with, and she wanted to, you know, tie the knot with me so I could get my papers. Okay. So we did that, and then she got pregnant, you know. So it was a whole lot of stuff happened. But when Charlie came, we were discombobulated. And I didn't, I didn't, I, she didn't tell her parents that we were married. So I couldn't go to her parents' house to stay with her. I had to go to New York, stay with my family in the Bronx. Okay. And um, found out that she, you know, decided she was going to move on with another guy. And man, that put me in a, a crazy headspace. I was crying. I was emotional. Sure you were. It yeah. was the first time my cousin slapped me so hard. Just slapped the crying out of me. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> he was like, dude, you're in New York. I get you a girl. It's okay. <laughs> Girls do that. Right, right. You know, and, uh, I, you know, from there, I was like, okay, I can do this. And, um, you know, I got with some girl that owned a clothing store up there and then, you know, she helped me to get back down here because I still had to get my papers. Sure. Like I still had to go to the immigration to do my interview, all that stuff. And um, But they denied me the first time. Okay. <laughs> they looked at both of us. I'm like, it's no way you guys was married. <laughs> like legit. You right, know? right. Was, they could tell. Yeah, it yeah. was brutal. And uh, they were like, well, you got to prove to us that this is legit. And so it almost like they forced us to get back together. Okay. And she moved moved back into my condo I had in Fort Lauderdale. And, um, you know, from there, you know, she ended up getting pregnant. And um, okay. I had to put her in a lot of stuff. And all the requirements they told me I needed, I did all that. Her getting pregnant, having baby, they didn't look at none of that. Really? They saw my son and they're like, yep, give me my papers. <laughs> 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 it was wild. So, you know, and then a couple of years later, I became citizen and um, I said, you know what? Now I can go after, you know, opening my own company, mm -hmm. um, you know, go back to school, all these different things, because I wanted to have degrees here. Sure. Right? My degrees from the Caribbean 
was not equivalent to the American degree. So I had to go, I did information technology, got my degree there and discovered that I could do very well in security. What age were you when you went, when you went back to school? Here? I was probably 28. Yeah, not easy to do that no, at 28 with, no. with, with children. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so security. So let, yeah. let's go into that. Yeah. We got into the security world. Uh, so originally I was supposed to do internet security, okay. um, network security, but it, I wasn't getting jobs in that area. I was, I was getting jobs in physical security. And so I had to start hiring more physical security guys mm -hmm. to do clubs. It's so um, like bouncers and yes, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. So, and I was getting jobs from here all the way to Miami. Okay. Very busy. Every week was, was really busy. And, um, but I would go with my sales guy to get a lot of these jobs. Mm -hmm. Like I would, you know, say, Hey, we, we could do it for this, you know? And so, we get most of the jobs we went after. Okay. And um, my competitors didn't like it. Yeah. So that's so, so I'm going to stop you there because that's yeah. kind of the build up to the story. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so let's, let's expand on that. So your competitors didn't like it. Right. And what, what happened after that? So basically what happened for me, so it, it actually, so it started, we, we had signed three contracts with um, some, uh, I don't know, people call them Wabi, but they're like, uh, you know, guys from like Abu Dhabi or whatever. Okay. That area. And so um, it was like hookah lounges, bar, but one of them had some drama with some type of engine for a vessel boat or whatever. Um, and so I think it was right, fitting for my competitors to say, you know what, let's use that to try to maybe set him up. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm just telling you this because I discovered all this after, but at the time, I had no idea what was going on. And wow. so when I had put, so there was this one guy, one guy that worked for me that I gave him a lot of locations. I gave him a lot of jobs. I wanted him to make money so he could, you know, pay for his wedding and all these things. And um, But that was the guy they used. You know, mm -hmm. they paid him to um, fabricate a story. And so I remember when when I had recruited, I don't know, like 30-something guys, we did an orientation, and they were trying to make that orientation like that was when I was planning to go kidnap some guy, him and his workers, and kill them, rob them, all this. So stuff. they claimed you were looking to kidnap and, yeah. and, and kill somebody. Yes. Okay. yes. So, wow. So basically what happened, you know, before, you know, we got there, I I wanted to sit down with these new guys that I had signed, you know, with and say, hey, this is a good, you know, security to have at you guys' location. I had sent him to an event that they had there and they didn't like that he had, like, he had a knife, like he had one of those little pocket knife yeah. for him. And uh, they saw that and they, and the, the owner said, I don't want that guy there because he, he came with weapons and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because really when I hired him, I hired him as a weapon security. He had his G license and stuff like that. Okay. So with that, he and I told him not to do all that, but he didn't follow instruction. But I still, I, you know, I still liked him. You know, I still wanted to give him another chance. And so I so said, you know what, let's have breakfast. You know, we'll reevaluate, you know, what's going on with you. And that day we going for breakfast. That was when we got pulled over. We got pulled over on uh, Burnstore Road, and um, on that road, 
first they accused us of speeding, which we weren't even okay. speeding. Then they said the license wasn't good because the the gentleman was driving. And then they said we need to step out of the car because something happened that they're not sure what happened. What and were you thinking at that moment? I was like, you know, maybe, you know, something happened. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want us to get into our drive to wherever that something had happened. I was kind of lost. Sure, of course you, you know. So. Well, it, was, it happened so quickly and you just, you, yeah, you don't yeah. tell anything, sure. And then they brought me to this room, like it was like a, you know, question room or whatever. And then they came and they were like, you know, where's the body? And and I'm like, what is happening right now, you know? You, um, so you, I mean, you have no idea what they're oh, talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, it was weird. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, like they're throwing all these things and I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down yeah. you guys. I'm, I'm so confused. Um, but then I realized that they had something serious was going on. And I said, you know what, man, just uh, get me to the uh, jail or whatever. And uh, let me get my attorney or whatever, see what's really going on here. Wow. Yeah. So uh, they kept me overnight. Well, I mean, I didn't go back out after that. Cause I was open, like, they would have, you know, give me bond, I'd go home. Yeah. So they wouldn't even out. allow you to do that, is it? Nope. Okay. Um, I was in a cell with about 19 other guys. It was a little cell. I had one toilet in it, and the toilet flushed every 30 minutes. Okay. Yep. And that was an interesting situation because they, they, they tell us. This guy, I don't know what happened. He couldn't keep whatever he had going on in his stomach, and he went and used it, and it was bad in there. Mm-hmm. It was bad, and we couldn't get out. And sure. so one guy hit him, tell him to sit on it, sit on it, keep the yeah, thing kid, down. Yeah. It was it was crazy, man. So, but I was, it was like, man, there's this world going on that I've never, I've never seen this type of world. Of so it was a lot of new stuff, interesting. You know, some of it was funny because I just. I just find funny in, in stuff, you know. <laughs> yes. So I was like, okay, man, we're gonna we're gonna get through this tomorrow. We'll, you know, go in front of the judge. And so I'm thinking I'm going in a courtroom. Nope, they gave me a, a orange uh suit, like a drum suit. Wow. And I said, You go to first appearance. And uh but I it was on a TV. Okay. And um they they call they're calling out these charges. So I sat back down, and the guy was like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Well, they they're calling out some charges and some other stuff. I don't know what what that is." They're like, "That's your charges." What? How? <laughs> they're calling out eight counts on the solicitating, eight counts on the conspiracy. And I was like, "I'm." I think you guys have the wrong guys right now because I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Right. So, but yeah, they, you know, they hit me with those charges and then I didn't have a bond. They said there are so many holes on, on your bond, you can't bond out. Okay. And so I had to I had to sit there. Then they sent me up to the fourth floor of maximum security. Wow. This was where I met some serious real criminals like, Three knife, three life sentence, two life sentences. Oh my God. Guys, like these guys are back in appeal, trying to take some of their sentence off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm still confused. Like, so, what, what was, okay, so let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, so, when you walked in there and you're, you're seeing people who, like you said, serious crimes, right? 
what was it like? You walk in this room, everybody's probably staring at you. Oh, they were. because they, So what I didn't know, because in jail, all they showed them is the news. Mm-hmm. I was on the news for three days. They, they, they did this whole story on me where I guess I had body bags on the... We had zip ties. We had all these things. I'm like, what? so everyone else is hearing this, right? Oh in, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In the, in the, did that help you? I mean, as oh, far as I mean, I, I would imagine oh, it would. Oh, yeah. it helped me in a huge yeah, way. Sure they, they thought I was a dangerous man. That's what I mean. Yeah. When when I got in there, these guys were taking commissary from other people and giving it to me because it takes a while to set up your account, and so you can spend fifty dollars every week. And basically, what that is is just you know little chips. Honey bar and all these different sure. things that you can get. And so it took maybe close to three weeks to get my account set up and stuff. Um, but yeah, the guys were taking people's stuff and giving it to me. And then I found out that they were taking other people's stuff. I'm like, no, guys, it's, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. But they're like, dread, everything good, dread. We got you, dread. You know, mm-hmm. like it was, but I was, I was really angry because mm-hmm. I was losing a lot of money and I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on. Sure. Wow. I was lost. So it was really when, you know, my attorney came and he said, hey, you know, this is racial driven. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. We got to get you out so we can fight this. And, um, you know, he, you know, we worked through it. Um, it took them about nine months to lift the hole off the bond. So for nine months you were in prison. I was in there for 10 Okay, nine, ten, right. Yeah, nine, they got the whole lift. Okay. Took me another couple of weeks to put the money together to bond out because the bond had went down to 365000 Okay. So I had to get 10% of that to bond out. So I had to sell some stuff. And, sure. Um, you know, so bond out. But in that time, like in that time when I was there, we had a lot of stuff unfold because maximum security, you only get about an hour a week outside looking at the sky. So you're not seeing around, you're just seeing up. Sure. That's it, because the walls are that high. And you're on the roof, like you're on the roof of the, the, the jail and stuff, and you have guys that still watching you. They call it like a wreck yard, you know. <laughs> and so anyone wanted to duke it out, that's when they would get a chance to duke it out because you couldn't fight down there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could fight, but when you, they, they'll do lockdown and they'll check your knuckles. And if your knuckles had any red on it, they put you in the box. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. They didn't even ask you they if didn't. you was a part of it. If you had any red on your knuckles, they, like, look yeah. like you hit someone, you go in the box. Interesting. And the okay. box is terrible. You probably could go. I mean, I had this one guy that was cool dude with me, got in the box. Uh, I, he went crazy. He went crazy maybe after two weeks. Uh, they put him in the box for three months. Wow. It was brutal. Sure it is. Oh, yeah, man. So, you know, when, when all that was unfolding, uh, you know, we had a situation happen where a fly pull up. Fly came in the, in, the, in the cell where we were. And everyone got excited. They're like, yo, where did this fly come from? Because you don't see no cracks nowhere. Yeah. And at that time, I was like, just same, like a voice was saying, the same way this flight came in here, the same way you're going to go out. Oh, okay. You know, and, I, and then it, things just kind of start falling into place. Okay. You know, I was like a voice saying, gave you this gift, you, you sat on it, and now I need you to tap into it because you have nothing but time. 
Okay. Interesting. So I start ri buying riding pads and I just tap back into my riding. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So what, what happened after that? You know, from there, I've, so I wrote like about four books. And then let me stop you for a second. How yeah. were the charges dropped? What, what was that situation so it, like? It, so the charges didn't drop yet. Okay. So because that got dragged out for three years. Okay. We, we did a bunch, about 14 pre-conference trial. They wanted me to take a plea deal. They didn't want to go to trial. I said, guys, I, I can't take a plea deal. You guys have to go to trial because I didn't do whatever you guys are trying to say I did. And so um, they dragged it out for as long as they mm -hmm. could. Uh, they were open that I didn't have any money or I would run out of money. So I would take the deal. But I hang in there by my neck, man. I remember, you know, after I'd burn out and I was going down to maybe my last thousand dollars. I remember sitting down with my attorney, like, listen, wow. man, I'm I'm in the weeds here. Sure. You, you need to get us in the trial, man. And so it just happened that week, my case had became the oldest case for that judge. And they decided, okay, we're gonna go to trial. Cause he's not he's not taking no deal. Right. You know? Right. And so and they didn't like me for not taking a deal. They sure. wanted me to take a deal. Well, you were defiant as far as they were concerned, right? right just right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, you know, we went to trial and then we we were in trial. On the third day, they brought my accuser up on the stand. And I had sat down with my attorney to kind of write the questions, you know, to ask him because I was really surprised who it was when I found out. So you didn't know? You didn't know until that no, no, time? No, I okay. didn't know. Yeah. I, it, was the, it was the craziest thing. And I was like, I, I'm so confused. I, I helped this guy. This guy have dinner with me and my kids. Yeah. This guy understand me as a single dad trying with my kids. You know, he saw the struggles. So I was really surprised on his action. Like, why would he do this? So, so at this moment, you're sitting there, you're seeing this person for the first time since then, right? Right, right, right. You're facing 32 years to life. Am I correct in right, saying that? Right, 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 right. What was going through your mind? I mean, oh, I cannot man. even imagine. You know, if I was disappointed. Yeah. I was really disappointed because here I am. You know, I did so much for this person. I was trying to get this person to make as much money as possible so he could do his wedding. You know, and just to, you know, find out that, you know, he was the one that did that. So I was like, okay, how do I get past this anger and just forgive this dude? Mm -hmm. Because I know God got me, you know, like I know I'm going to be okay. I never had a doubt that, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, I might go to, no. Yeah. I mean, like, if I'm like, if there's any God, I know I'm not going to mm -hmm. no prison to go do no 32 years to life. Sure. So, so what happened with the accusers? So they're up so, there? Yeah. So in, in questioning what happened, the first question was asked to him was asked to him the sixth time with a twist. Okay. And the way it was asked to him, I think uh, the way he answered his question, he felt like justifying his answer. Mm -hmm. And then he just went into a venting mode. Like he was just venting on... Didn't like the locations that I was putting in. Didn't like that I was black and so young and I was owning a company that was getting successful. All these different things. And then just in the midst of his venting, my attorney said how much they paid you. And he said how much they paid him. And then he realized, oh, snap, I just told on he myself. Just, yeah. You know, it was it was crazy. And he was like, wait, wait, wait. Like, like what do you mean wait? Bro? You just put all that out there on record, you know. So... 
Uh, that's really how everything got crumbled. So um, then they realized the story was completely fabricated. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone was in there in shock with their mouth open. I'm like, are you guys serious? I told you guys this three years yeah. ago that all that stuff was not real. Um, but they decided to still go with the, you know, because they had we had already picked the jury, you know, so they wanted to put it in the jury hands. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it would have been brutal if this jury went in. I'm like, oh, yeah. Despite all these things that we've seen and hearing, we think he's guilty. I, you know, I, I'm like, there's no way. Even though, even if we had jurors that didn't like my type, right, right, I don't see it. I okay. just couldn't see it. But even then, because of how tense it was, with my kids there, you know, I still wanted to say to them, "Hey, I don't, I don't know what the future looks like. Sure, you know, I don't know what's gonna happen in the next hour, but I love you, boys." You know, and I'm always be there as best as I can. You know, and so with that, you know, we cried it out. We didn't know what was happening. We was in there unclear right now. So yeah. uh, I think they they were in there for maybe 10 minutes, but it felt like they were in there for three I'm hours. I'm sure it did, yeah. Yeah, you know, my heart was beating, man. So they came out, your heart is beating. Everybody <laughs> could probably hear it beating, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And they come yeah. out and say... Not guilty, not man. Guilty. They call they call out all sixteen counts. Wow. Not guilty and all of them. And then it was like just this. It was like a bunch of water was waiting, yeah. like after all that, to just start come out. And then I just broke down, man. How could you? I, I could feel that when yeah. you said that. I yeah. mean, I couldn't yeah. imagine how you felt. I mean, yeah, yeah sure. It was, it was brutal. So it, it just out of curiosity, the the person who falsely accused you, what happened? What happened to them? Nothing. nothing that's what i figured and that isn't that isn't that a shame though? i know that's right? a crime in itself in it my is. opinion yeah wow well listen thanks for sharing that that's uh that's unbelievable so so let's so okay i want to go here now because we mentioned about you being a writer right okay right, right, now right. you're not just someone who likes to dabble in writing you have written 27 children's books yeah, am i correct yeah, in saying yeah, that yeah, yeah. 16 novels yeah, yeah yeah tell me about that where, where does the inspiration <laughs> come from yeah so you know like i said it started you know back in jail and um i i wrote four books when i got out because even though that had ended i still had those accusations hanging on my name on record until it would possibly get exposed sure so no one would hire me yeah. And I was broke. I had no money. So, but we had a home. And so I I had nothing but time. So I just tap into my writing, you know, just little stories in my head. I could look at a fly playing with a peanut and turn it into a story. That's great. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I just, I just wrote a bunch of stories. I wrote a bunch of manuscripts. I saw how the pattern of how I should do a manuscript. I did some drafts and, uh, you know, fine-tune it. Like, okay, this I like this this story. And then I'll final with that story and I just leave it there. And so I decided, okay, I got to get a book out. But then I was like, uh, you know, I might still have the challenges because I had all this accusation on my name. But I, you know, I, I couldn't think of that. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go at it because it was a gut feeling like, just try to get it published, you know. So I got sure. it published with, I, so I decided I'm going to put out Line With No Roar first. So Line With No Roar is like this kid's story, but it has my hidden story in it because I'm Leo, consider myself a lion. 
So I'm like, I got no voice. Mm -hmm. I got no voice, but I know my day is coming when all this that I'm meant to be doing is going to come out and, you know, I'm going to help impact lives and stuff sure. like that. So Lion With No Words about this cub that was born to this older lion uh, couple and he didn't have a voice. He, he just, uh, he didn't have a roar. And so because his friends, you know, they were a little bit shocked because he was supposed to be the next in line. Um, he had an uncle that was very deceitful. And his uncle played on that, you know, played on who he was as a, you know, little cub and got him kidnapped, taken by humans. Mm -hmm. And they had him in like the zoo yeah. and they were trying to train him and, they found out he just wasn't that lion mm -hmm. after he grew up and stuff. So they had actually put him back. Luckily, they didn't kill him. They put him back. And uh, so the story unfolds more, you know, if uh, you guys... I mean, you can see the inspiration of the story, oh, obviously. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, I mean, it's a really powerful story because it does have my hidden story in it. That, you know, yeah. if, if like when someone read that story, they're like, uh, something else is happening, mm -hmm. you know? So, and that's like a part one of a five book series. So there's another, there's a bunch more that is not out yet. Because, okay. Because we had other books came out, but Lion With No Roar uh, got picked up by Author House. And then from that, I got a chance to go to England and some of my speaking engagements there, I... um. I got picked up by Austin McCauley and they're in Canary Wharf in London. And so they're like, hey, we want to redo your book. Your book right now look like a box with a question sign on it. We want to make it more kids friendly. Okay. So, you know, they took it over. And so that was, you know, quite a deal. And, uh, you know, so I ran with that for a little bit and then found out that I really wasn't making the money that I was supposed to be making. So... You know, I got into more books. I, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to release this book. And then I released Book of Poems mm. because of the the liking that I took to Henry Wandsworth Fellow when I was younger and his writing and how he write poems. And so I was like, okay. Because in my head, this was always in my head. Heights by great men, reach and cap were not attained by sudden flight. But they, while their companions slept, was upward tiling through the night. And the way it was laid out, it's a lot of stuff impacting it. Mm -hmm. But it's basically saying, you know, if you got this craft or something that you believe in, you work on it. Even when those individuals that don't necessarily believe you is sleeping, doing what they're doing, you up working on your craft, you know, trying to get good at it. And once you understand that, you put it out. Yeah, sure. So I was like, okay, I need to put this book out. So I put it out and it debuted at number one. Wow. In the okay. poetry category. And so that kind of just boosts my confidence. You sure know, it like, did. Okay, now I, now I got to start running with this. Wow. And, and that's how like, I, so I started putting out books. And then I had a literary agent at the time. And he said, hey, you should put out a memoir. And the memoir would highlight the 10 months I was in jail facing 32 years to life. And when I died for 60 minutes, and I know that's we, like... We, we, are, we didn't even get to <laughs> I that. Know, I mean, that is a story in itself. Yeah, but. that is a story in itself. But that book came out and 
that book spent a whole month at number one. Wow, congratulations. So, so yeah, so that was beautiful, escaping a life sentence. Okay. So that was that was pretty dope. Are you working on anything right now? Is oh, there yeah, I mean, so because I had written over 50 books, so there's a lot of books just sitting right now. I have okay. about nine books published. Um, so I wanted to drop uh, this book, uh, Coin Legacy Journeyman, so we've sent it out. We had a British publisher that was going to be putting it out, but I had to put a hole on it because of what I had going on with my nonprofit organization, EAS. Yeah, which I definitely, I, I'd like to get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we've, but we're still going to be dropping that novel. So Corn Legacy Journeyman definitely will be dropping uh, sometime, you know, this summer. And, um, you know, we'll see what that looks like. Hopefully okay. it, it has a, a Game of Thrones type of feel to it. Okay. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Exciting. So you mentioned EHAS. So tell us a little bit about your involvement. What is EHAS? Yes. And, 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 and what is your involvement in it? So EHAS stands for Everyone Has a Story. And, and basically EHAS helped to create self-reliance and a growth mindset for disadvantaged youths. And so how EHAS came about when I was in jail, you know, back in jail, meeting all these different young men. And I tell you, I met teenagers, I was 18, 19, then young guys, you know, and then the stories that got them in there. I was like, man, these dudes are lack of so much knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. they have no idea how they can impact where they live, you know, and what that looked like without turning to crime. Like, you know, there was this one kid in there, he was so out of his mind on drugs that it was three days after he was there, he realized he was in jail. It was the craziest thing. Wow. <laughs> then there was this other kid. They went to a pharmacy to rob the pharmacy, and they went through the drive-thru, wrote on a note, they have a gun, all these things, and gave it to the lady in the window and waited for the drugs. Oh, my God. So the cops went and picked them up. Sure like, they did. Yeah. Well, because they were so out of their mind. Oh, yeah, I mean, like yeah. you said, you're not thinking rationally to do oh, something no. like that. No, it was, I had a lot of, like, Put it like this. We play Monopoly in there. We play spades. I had no skills in spades. I learned spades in there. And then I was just beating them like it was nut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Monopoly, it doesn't matter who had what. I would always end up with all the properties. And then they were like, oh, man, we can't even play no more. We <laughs> I'm never going to play Monopoly yeah, with you, we, Cornell. We, we hit everything <laughs> and we got to pay you, Cornell. But it was... I, I would swindle them in things, you know, like I would get them railroads for this property and they wouldn't pay attention that I already had two. Right, right. So as the minute I get that one, I bowed up, <laughs> put up some hotels <laughs> and they hit it. And then I just, so before you know it, I had everyone's money and they couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Then I had somewhere I would lend some money and then I would take something from them. It was crazy. And I was like, man, these guys are locking a lot of uh, knowledge in, in different years. A lot of them didn't know how to think critically. And I was like, you know what? When I get a chance, you know, after this writing, start doing what it's doing, you know, I'd love to open an organization that could address the mindset, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's what EAS is. It's basically we work with youth at risk, disadvantage, whatever that looks like. And we bring them, so we touch on how to think critically, what financial literacy looks like, mm -hmm. uh, an entrepreneur, um, assertiveness, self-confidence. You know, we touch on the different areas that 
a school don't don't do. Yeah. At what age do you usually start? So we start at, at nine. Okay. Nine so grade, age nine, yeah. Nine grade all the way up okay. to through college. You okay. Know, just because everyone needs, you know, a little bit of shortening, you know, help them understand this year. Sure, of course. Right. So uh, that's how EAS uh, got bird. So in twenty twenty I had filed for my five oh one C three. And I was told that's going to take a while. So I was like, I won't launch the organization until I get that. So I didn't get that until 2002. Okay. No, 2022. 2022. I got the letter and I launched in March. Downtown okay. Fort Myers. I had the Mayor Anderson came out and um, uh, was the keynote speaker. Just kind of talk about what me and him had sat down and how we could address a lot of the initiatives, you know, and, and what that looked like. Sure. That's what EAS is. And so now what we do, we go into these different institutions, schools. We work with these these youths and um, we bring them that knowledge and, and what that looked like. And so now we just became a vendor with Department of Juvenile Justice. So we haven't really started getting government money yet. Sure been using my own money so okay you know this year we have our first fundraiser coming up where we'll get an opportunity to raise some money to do a lot of what we're doing like to you know put the workbooks together to maintain the online course so they can go online do their courses get their certificates saying hey i complete this so now i kind of more understand how to do this or to do that sure you know? and we address mental health in a huge way. Yeah, I would uh, imagine well. so. But this, yeah. so this is still in the early stages. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. what's interesting is, as you mentioned, you have an event coming up. Mm -hmm. It's a golfing event. Mm -hmm. And how many golfers do you have? So up? right now, uh, I mean, we're open to have, We I wanted to have 144. Okay. 144, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's still around a lot of people. Oh, man, that's an expensive course. Sure. Uh, but right now we have about about 90-something uh, golfers. So for this early stage, you know, uh, uh, kind of, kind of, thing that you're working on yeah. um you have 90 golfers i mean that that's a big deal that's a lot oh, yeah. of people oh, yeah um that's that's pretty amazing so oh, it's huge so let, let's kind of conclude here if you don't mind yes. now because your story and listen i appreciate you sharing all that oh, with definitely. us and some definitely. of those things are probably not fun to have to kind of kind of keep keep repeating but um right. What's next for you? You've done so much already. <laughs> what is next? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you dream big. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So EAS, you know, we are, we are already expanding with EAS because I discovered some homes in Jamaica where these kids needed help as well. So we're opening a, a branch of EAS in Jamaica as mm -hmm. well. And the government is coming on board to help with that. Uh, and then, you know, of course... Um, trying to put that on autopilot i have a great team shout out to the whole eas team everyone that has been helping that to really move and function you know all the sponsors that have gotten behind sure. what i'm doing seeing uh, the power behind uh, you know what we do and how we impact these youths and so with that um you know once i get that on autopilot then i start focusing back on my personal brand which is the a multifaceted artist, you know, between mm -hmm. my closing line, the video games that I've concept, the gameplay and um, the brand, you know, speaking like I want to move from where I'm making four grand every speaking to 50 grand. Sure. I know that takes a while. So we working on all that. 
Yeah. 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 So, I know you and I have had uh, separate conversations yeah, on that. I think yeah. that's, that's amazing. Oh, definitely. Um, listen, wow. Great story. Cornell, <laughs> Thank th thanks for, for sharing this. Not only did you go through a lot, but yes, you, you, you've maintained a positive attitude is very obvious oh, in, 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 in a time where it was probably not easy to stay positive. Right, right. And I know through your faith and through your family and, and other ways you, you managed to do that. So yeah. I, I want to personally thank you for this. I want to also thank you for all these wonderful things you're doing and giving yes. back. Yes, sir. Yes, I think sir. that's a huge thing. So I, I wish you continued success yes, sir. And, uh, and I really enjoyed <laughs> having you thanks oh, again and i enjoyed it it was a lot of fun thank you thank you cornell <laughs> yeah.